Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name this morning. And a, uh, just a blessing on you, I guess, that grace and peace might be multiplied to all of you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would say amen to the early message there on being a testimony for Christ and the importance of having love one for another. And it is truly a blessing to see brothers work together in harmony and love. I think uh, as I consider that, um, we would have a sense of May I say satisfaction or joy, at least in the testimony of Christ. We have opportunity to do good and to show love to our fellow men in their distress, help them out. There's a sense of of, um, satisfaction at doing the will of God, knowing that it is pleasing to our Heavenly Father to do that and to... Uh, Show the love of Christ. Now the message I have this morning, though may seem a bit contrary to that, because there is a different side of the Christian life that is on my heart this morning to preach about. The timing of it may seem a little, uh, not sure what to say, maybe a little jarring. However, as in uh, other issues of the Christian life, there are two sides that must be held in balance and understood rightly for us to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And I think you'll understand as we go along here. Um, And even though I said it's jarring, I do not in anyway diminish or want to take away from what the first message was. Because that is an important truth. I'd like to open with some uh, familiar prophecy in Isaiah 53. prophet begins by saying in in chapter 53 verse 1, he asks the question, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now that is a bit of an introduction to my topic this morning. And it's not one that we 
particularly enjoy thinking about, at least when it becomes personal for us. But here we have Jesus, of whom it is said that he is despised and rejected of men. So think with me just now, this will be the jarring part. Let's suppose that the folks we went to help up in Cedar Rapids, and we did them a good deed, and instead of blessing us and feeling um, overwhelmed and feeling grateful, they would actually despise us or speak evil of us as though we had done something wrong. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen. But the reality is there are people who will reproach us just as they did reproach Christ. And the title of my message is Bearing His Reproach. And that is found in Hebrews chapter 13. We'll look at that a bit later. Um, But in the example of Christ... Being reproached, we are to identify with him because in the Christian life there will be times that we will be reproached. In fact, Jesus in his preaching said that when we are persecuted or reproached, we should leap for joy. Now, I don't recall in this past week that I leaped for joy over anything in particular. And if I had, what would it have been about? Would I have been leaping for joy that the testimony of God was being spread abroad? Um, The things that we tend to feel good about, as I mentioned, you know, we, we do works of kindness and blessing and we feel satisfaction. And I'm not trying to imply that that is wrong, that we shouldn't feel good about having done good and knowing that it is pleasing to the Lord. And regardless of how it's received, uh, it's, it's right and it's good to help those who are in distress. And we're not really doing it for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. Now, before I get into some of the scriptures concerning bearing reproach, I want to look at several passages of scripture that speak nothing about reproach. In fact, if we read these passages, and we'll start with Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16. Now, in prior verses, he did talk about being persecuted. Uh, But here in verse 13, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. 
Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As we think about that being a reality for us, we should be the light of the world. We should be like salt. And we should be like a city that's set on a hill. And, and when the people see it, they think of our Father in heaven. And they rejoice in that light. And we have a sense of fulfilling our Father's will. And we could add to that the prophecy and then fulfillment of Jesus Christ himself, where it says that the people sat in darkness. And those people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. That was speaking of Christ. When he came, he was that great light. So the people who sat in darkness and now saw the light should rejoice in that light that they have now received. Well, some of them did. That is true. But others despised and rejected the Son of Man. Now that's going to be true for his followers as well. There are those who will be blessed. They will receive with gratefulness uh, our testimony or even our acts of kindness and good deeds. They will bless us. And then there will be those who curse us and even call us evil for having done good. That's the one that's a little harder for us to wrap our mind around or even to embrace as part of godliness. I would like to also reference the passage that was read at the beginning of the service in Isaiah chapter 26. Just turn there. And I believe Marvin read through verse 9. I'll just repeat that. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And oh, how our heart thrills with that thought. Yes, when God's judgments, when his right ways and everything is is manifest, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Amen. That should be the church's testimony. You know, the, the zeal of God and the righteousness of God and the whole earth. Learn righteousness. But note the next verse. It says, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Oh, that seems to be an opposite picture. And perhaps the burden of my message here this morning is that We gladly bear the reproach of Christ even though 
There are those who are wicked who will not behold the beauty of the Lord. But they may actually curse us or reproach us and cast out our name as evil even when we have lived righteously and done well and have departed from iniquity, yet they cast out our name as evil. The temptation in such a case is for us to become discouraged or maybe even shrink back from doing the good that we should or living a life of righteousness and blamelessness, holiness before the Lord when men would actually speak evil of us for doing that. So we do need to bear his reproach. Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13 now as the passage from which the title was taken. Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 12 to 14. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, the passage there in verse 16, to do good and to communicate, that communicate there means to give, um, Generally there, I believe it's referring to material goods, uh, generously giving, that's the thought of communicating there, but to do good and to give or communicate, to help, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now how is it that we, on the one hand, we're bearing his reproach, And yet on the other hand, or what seems perhaps contrasting, is that in spite of that we are to be doing good, we are to be giving, we are to be showing generosity and not forget to do that, even though we as a people face reproach and even persecution perhaps. Now, In verse 15, he also mentions that we should offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that would parallel with the words of Jesus where he said that when we are persecuted or they cast out our name as evil, we should rejoice and leap for joy. Actually, Let's look at the passage there in Luke chapter 6. 
and verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Now you know that that's not the natural response to persecution and having your name cast out as evil that your heart is so swelled with joy that you just leap for joy. That takes the grace of God. That is an indication of a transforming work of Christ. And I would just like for us this morning to meditate on the importance of embracing that reality of the Christian life, that reproach for the name of Christ is part of our um, our experience and, and the, the testimony of the true church includes being reproached and even having cast uh, our name cast out as evil. Now you can also turn to First Peter where we've been memorizing and while there's a number of places here in this book in fact it's I would say one of the major themes in the book of First Peter is the subject of persecution and what our mindset and response should be to persecution in this time when people Cast out our name as evil. Let's look in chapter 3 that we recited today. And verse 14 it says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And then if we go over into chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now, Peter makes it very clear that we should not be suffering persecution or opposition or even reproach because of evildoing. 
Indeed, if we have done evil and done wrong, there's no glory for the reproach that comes upon us for that. We should be ashamed if we have done what is wrong. But if we have done righteousness and we have not transgressed the commandment of the Lord and actually shown an example of holiness and then are reproached for that, well, then happy should be the lot of such a person who has a good testimony, a clear conscience. And, you know, it... um, in reality, it comes down sometimes to a, a matter of judgment. There are times when we thought to do well, had no malicious intent, and someone gets very upset and angry with us. Well, what do you do about that? For example, recently I heard the story of, a, of another uh, tradesman who went to a what he thought was the customer's house um, to do a bit of service work, and it was it was done outside. It wasn't in the house, but he knocked on the door. Nobody came to the door, so he set to work, or at least began. And the homeowner comes out and asks him what he's doing, and he soon discovers that he's at the wrong address. And the homeowner just got completely unglued, as we would use the term, angry, upset that he would be in her yard. And I'm going to call the police. Well, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry at the wrong place. I'm, you know. Well, he was in the wrong in that he was at the wrong place. But It should have been evident, we think, to the average person that he had no malicious intent. It was just a simple and honest mistake. And, you know, life goes on. But not so in that case. This this homeowner was so upset, so angry. He called the police, and eventually the police came out, and this tradesman was able to talk to the police. And the police said, well, you're fine, no problem. She calls the police all the time. You know, it's one of those. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that, you know, that isn't quite, you know, suffering for righteousness' sake because you were actually in the wrong, but you had no wrong intent. You had no, um, you know, and, and the reason that hit me is because it could have been me. <laughs> I go to folks' place, and I always try to make sure I'm at the right address, but there have been a few times when I wasn't sure, and and if I should happen to be there and cross the wrong path, um, but anyway, my point here is that as we go through life, there are times, and we might get into questionable situations, and people get upset at us and, and get angry with us. Um, and if we were in the wrong, even though it was not intentional, we should be apologetic and be willing to, you know, try to smooth the waters. But also recognize that there are times when we even do well and we had good intent and people reproach us and get angry and turn against us. 
But that should not be a discouragement for us to continue doing good, doing well, seeking uh, the welfare of others. Uh, in fact, if, if we put the, the things together there in our text passage in Hebrews 13, even though we bear his reproach, we should not shrink back from doing good and doing well. Let's look at another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Now the context there is that we should exercise ourselves unto godliness. We are to put on the mind of Christ as servants. We are to not think of ourselves above that we ought to think, but as it says in Philippians 2, to have the mind of Christ, to be a servant. And he says here that, the bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness, that piety, that feeling toward God, that exercising ourselves in righteousness and doing well, is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. We uh, take example from Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of his faith, and it says that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And for that reason, he was willing to be counted with the people of God and not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We also, because of that hope of what is beyond, as he says in this passage, that its godliness is profitable not only for this life, but in that which is to come. Now, what are the ways in which we may bear reproach? Well, I have a handful here. Um, Going to help with cleanup after a storm is probably not going to bring reproach to us. Most likely not. But rather a willingness and acceptance and actually joy and blessing for having received help. But 
there are other things in the Christian life that we may face reproach for and are much more likely to. Before I go into this list, I'd like to just remind us that we are living in an age that is getting worse and worse in this whole matter. Why? Because many times people are putting light for darkness and darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They have such a twisted view of what is right and just that they are willing to praise the evildoers and condemn the righteous. Now that has been true in all times and you know in places but it is getting worse and worse in our day. But as believers and as faithful children of God there are going to be things that we do in this life that are not uh, not going to yield us the praise of man but rather reproach. And I'm thinking particularly in our whole manner of life. The first thing I would mention is that we live a life that in the eyes of the world is no fun. I mean, what, what do you do for fun? Well, nothing. Really? Nothing? I mean, don't you party? You know? Don't you drink? Don't you go to the movies? Well, what do you do for fun? You know, they have a concept. And they actually think it's strange that you don't run with them to that same excess of riot revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries? No, if we shun those, they think it's strange. But we should be willing to bear good testimony that we do shun those things. We shun that which is evil. We don't go to the movies. We don't party. We don't have a beer now and then. We don't just go carousing and, you know, that's maybe why we don't go to Adventureland and to Disney World and all the places that have glamour and, and sporting and sporting. I mean, you don't, you don't watch the games and you don't go there? Well, that's the American pastime, I mean. So, so what do you do for fun? Well... In the eyes of the world, I guess probably nothing we do is fun. I mean, yes, we do have some leisure, and we do have a bit of recreation. Uh, we, we do lay aside our work for a time and, and do something for refreshment. But in the eyes of the world, you know, that, that's just, I mean, you know, it's just not fun. You ever... You ever get that sense when you're talking with people and they just, they just can't understand why you wouldn't go to all those excesses and, and pleasures? Well, the next one I've listed is separation from the world. And of course, the former one I mentioned and even some of the subsequent ones will be related to this. But the whole 
concept of being separate from the world. It's really not even popular in Christianity today. In fact, I would, I would say as on the whole, I have seen in my lifetime a significant shift in those who claim the name of Christ to shift away from even the concept or any application of being separate from the world. It seems to have fallen into disfavor among those who name the name of Christ. But we who believe the scriptures and the plain words of scripture that says that whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Those are serious and strong words. And we need to be prepared to make specific and practical application even to the point that they can see that we do not go the way the world does and be willing to bear the reproach that might come on us for being separate from the world. Next point, which could be a sub-point under this former one, is in manner of dress. Yes, our manner of dress could be a, um, a reproach. The world thinks like the world. Is any surprise there? No. But Peter made it plain that the thinking of the Christian should be different from the thinking of the world. And that, especially talking to the ladies, he says, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair and wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. The Christian focuses on different um, goals and different principles, and they are different from the way that the world thinks. The world thinks after a manner of fashion, displaying oneself, even unclothing, is considered in with, with the times. Well, not so for the Christian. Their manner of dress should be separate from the world. Their thinking, the reason why they do things, should be different than why the world does them. The next uh, point I have, in simplicity and plainness. And while that applies certainly to dress, it also applies to our lifestyles and um, the things we use. Simplicity and plainness. The rich man and Lazarus in that story, it says that the rich man fared sumptuously every day. He fared sumptuously every day. Now, let's suppose for a minute that a Christian has plenty of money and could, if he wanted to, fare sumptuously every day. 
would that be the right thing to do? And if we think of the story of the rich man Lazarus, our, our head at least would quickly say, well, no, probably not. Well, if not, if we are not to be seen as people who fare sumptuously every day, then even though we could, we might have the money to do it, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. We should also have a testimony of simplicity, of temperance, of not giving the impression or or actually indulging in living sumptuously every day. Temperance in what we eat. Temperance in what we buy. Temperance in even our leisures. You know, there should be appropriate boundaries. We're not just going somewhere and doing something for pleasure or recreation uh, every weekend. And, you know, there are, there are boundaries, there's temperance. And if we have an abundance, it's to be used for good. Uh, let us do good and not, uh, how does he say, to communicate, forget not helping those who are less fortunate. The next point I have is in bearing reproach here, things, areas that we may bear reproach is in identifying with our brethren. Now, I, in the former list, you know, the people that have no fun, the people that are separated from the world, they don't think like the world does. They don't dress like the world does. And their life is just filled with plainness and simplicity. Is that the people we want to identify with? Raise our hand and say, yes, I'm one of them. Oh, well, that may cause some reproach because, oh, oh, you're with one of, oh, you're with that sect. I, I see, yeah, okay. And I'm sure you've probably heard these kind of things and kind of felt that, oh, those, oh, those hypocrites over there. Ah, oh, yeah, we know those people. They're not everything they claim to be. You know, and things like that. And suddenly we're, uh, you know, in our spirit, we may not outwardly do this, but in our spirit we cringe. Oh, I don't, uh, no, I'm, I'm not a hypocrite like they are, and I'm, you know, I'm not as, quite as plain as they are over there, and, and I'm not a sect. I'm not part of a sect. And, and all those things, you know, they, they spring to our mind. We don't, you know, there's that feeling. Well, let me just acknowledge that there are things that we don't necessarily want to identify with. If We should not be hypocrites. And we know that there are those who are hypocrites. 
We know that there are those who hide behind the cloak of righteousness, but inwardly they are full of ravening wickedness and dead men's bones. And No, we, we don't want to be a part of that. But neither do we have to get very defensive and, and cast off our plainness or be ashamed to be identified with people who are different, people who are separate from the world. Because we need to embrace the fact that the true people of God are going to face those reproaches. We could, we could distance ourselves from all hypocrisy. And we could, we could assure ourselves that we have a good testimony. Our church, you know, we are compassionate. We love one another. We have all the, you know, we have a good church. We have love one for another, and we are welcoming of people. Well, yes, all of that should be true. I'm not implying that none of that should be there. It should. But even if it were, even if our church were perfect in all of those, we still will face reproach for having done well, for having walked in righteousness, for having sought to walk in holiness and righteousness before God. Oh, you know, they may even call us evil when we have done no wrong. Oh, they might say, Oh, you're one of those churches that have rules. Ah. You know, you just coerce people into doing things. And, oh, that sect over there that, you know, they, whatever, they just brainwash the young people and make them follow the rules and they're, you know, they have to do thus and so to be part of this group. And well, that reproach may well be there, even though we have done well. And I'm not trying to imply we've done everything perfectly. I'm not implying that we shouldn't seek to do more and improve on the matter of love and care one for another and all those things. Those are right and good, but you have to reckon with the fact that even if we do it perfectly, there are those who are going to look at it with reproach. They will even cast out our name as evil, and they will imply that we are just mindlessly following whatever traditions. Oh, you're one of those traditional people, you know, and Well, let's not be ashamed to be identified with our brethren and with the people of God. The title of my message is Bearing His Reproach. And if our concept of 
a good church is one that is, you know, welcoming to everyone, or maybe I should say in the sense that we think people will really want to come and they will want to be a part of our church and, and uh, you know, everything is, we have everything in, in line and we are the most generous and welcoming people and we have a good testimony of good works. You know, all of those things should be there. They should be in place. But again, if we are truly walking in righteousness, we will also be bearing reproach, even for those very things of concern, of walking in righteousness, concern of being not a friend of the world, concern about doing what is honest and not following the ways of the world. We are going to have our name cast out as evil. And probably many times it starts with just a, a little feeling of reproach, maybe a little turning of the lips. Oh, oh, you're with that sect over there. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we've heard of them. Or, and you, can, you fill in the blanks, I'm sure you've heard some of it. But my exhortation for us this morning is to embrace that as part of carrying our cross and of identifying with Christ. He says there, let us therefore, let me turn back to Hebrews there so I get that. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And this idea of going outside the camp, there's a, I don't have it all in the top of my mind to explain it, how this is a reference to the Old Testament sacrifice, and they had a, a sacrifice where they carried some things outside the camp, of course, they had the sacrifices that were in the temple or the tabernacle there. And, but there was a type of, of what was carried outside, and I believe that's what he's referring to here. And it was a reproach. Bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And that should be a sense that all of us carry with us is that we're not here to just win the praise of men. We're not here to appear as the best church to be found in the region. Though it might be well if we could say that, although, but that's not our mindset. That's not where we're going. That's not. We want to be righteous and we want to give a good testimony, but it's not measured by whether everyone thinks well of us or by what everyone feels like that would be the church to go to. That's not necessarily the measure. 
The measure is, have we carried the example of Christ? Are we willing to bear his reproach? Because here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And then he says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We should be known as a people who, even when faced with reproach and persecution and casting out our name as evil, that we can continue to praise God, give thanks to his name, be a people who endure. And lastly, I just uh, remind us that Jesus, when speaking to uh, or sending message to John the Baptist, who after he was cast in prison seemed to be having doubts and uncertainty whether this was the promised Messiah. And he sent some of his disciples to inquire. And Jesus sent back a message encouraging him to consider what the prophets said, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And then he concludes by saying, Blessed is he that shall not be offended in me. And John the Baptist was suffering reproach for the name of Christ. He was in prison because of jealousy. He was reproached. He wasn't out there anymore preaching. And it must have been a difficult place for him. But Jesus said, Blessed is he that shall not be offended in me. And if we take to heart that admonition, don't turn back in the Christian faith because of reproach and and that turning of the lip for what we stand for, for righteousness, for truth in our day. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed is he that shall not be offended in me. And even though the way is hard and we face that reproach, we don't turn back. We are not of them that turn back unto perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the soul. May God bless you with that.